0: Well, we're in John 5 this week, (coughs) verses 19 to the end. And if you're taking notes, the title is In the Case of Christ versus the Jews. This week in our study of John's gospel, we come to a section that can really be best understood and described as Jesus on trial. It is the first time that Jesus is put on the stand, as the saying goes to defend himself against his accusers. As many of you know, it will not be the last time that Jesus is on trial. But the reason why he is put on trial in this moment is because of what we looked at last week. When Jesus broke their religious laws regarding the Sabbath, when he healed a man on the Sabbath who was an invalid for 38 years and then told him to carry his bed, which they saw as doing work on the Sabbath. Though this was an incredible miracle that Jesus just did for this man, all they saw was Jesus intentionally leading this man into rebellion and lawlessness against their laws. And ultimately, they saw it as God's law. When they approached him this representative group of Jews, not only does Jesus not deny what he did, he does not recant what he did. He does not apologize for it. Instead, he explains, well, I can do it because I'm God, is essentially what he says. We see this in verse 17. If you want to look back, Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. And John tells us, we're, we're looking at that going, well, what does that mean? John tells us what they understood Jesus to mean and what they intended to do about it in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, you can understand on some level why they would be so concerned about Jesus claiming equality with God. After all, did not Adam seek the exact same thing in the Garden of Eden? He sought equality with God when he ate the forbidden fruit and hopefully trying to possess the knowledge of good and evil. In their minds, Jesus was committing the cardinal sin, Seeking equality with God. And just as Adam led the whole world into rebellion against God, they perceived that Jesus, in his pursuit of that same equality, was now a menace to society, and he must be stopped before anything worse happens. And so by arranging the story in this way, the way John tells the story, John wants us to see that before the trial even begins, before Jesus is even really able to defend himself or give evidence for these claims, in their minds, he was guilty and needed to prove himself innocent. And this trial was really just an opportunity for him to recant his views or prove that he is insane. The question of our passage for us It's going to force us to answer by the end this question, does the evidence prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Jesus is guilty of blasphemy and deserving of death? I mean, that's what we do in criminal cases, right? That's the goal of the trial, to ascertain the truth of the case, and this whole thing that they teach you when you're going to be a juror, this thing about unconscious bias, it's almost impossible. Everybody walks into a case having a perception either by the narrative they have or the view of the case or the person that's before them, whatever. It's very difficult to have, but that's the goal of the trial. Try to set all those things aside and then just see what is the evidence saying? And then in the end, judge that person innocent or guilty based on reasonable evidence. But there's a greater significance to this case because John's purpose for recording it in this way is to force his readers, including us, to not just answer the question, is Jesus innocent or is he guilty, but also determine whether or not he's God. And if it does prove that he is God, what implications does that have for me and for you? At the end of the day, we are faith people. We believe that faith is what is required, necessary. Only faith is required to be saved. However, we also believe that our faith is based in reasonable evidence. The Christian faith makes sense. Though much of the details are beyond our human comprehension, it is not unreasonable to put our faith in Jesus because there is reasonable evidence to believe who he is. And what he did is The means of our salvation. And every Christian must base their faith in that evidence and be ready to share that evidence and give a defense to anyone who would ask it. So that's what our text is doing. And by the end of this trial, certainly by the end of the book of John, every reader will have to make that judgment. Is Jesus God? And if He is, what does that mean for me? I'm going to look at this text In two sections, section one, they're on the screen there, is Jesus' own defense, that's verses 19 to 29, and then section two is Jesus' evidence for the defense. Let's read it again. Let's read the first section. Again, this comes off of Jesus claiming equality with God. Jesus said to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing.' For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For, and notice these words, for, the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life And come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. In this first section, what we are essentially looking at is Jesus testifying in his own words, not someone else's words or their perception. He is saying, this is who I am, and this is why I can do the things that I'm doing. I said a moment ago, this is the first time that Jesus was put on trial to defend himself, before his accusers, it will not be the last. And what he does in this first trial is that he makes a clear and compelling argument for his divinity. Now, in, this, in his final trial, when he stands before Pontius Pilate, he will not repeat any of these words. Instead, he will remain silent before his accusers. Why? Because they've already made up their minds about Jesus. But here, it's so early on, he wants to be clear. This is who I am. Not here, not yet. Jesus speaks in a clear and compelling way. As you can see, Jesus does not recant his views or statement, far from pulling back from his prior claims of deity that's now present in humanity, he actually doubles down, triples down, quadruples down on his point. He knows that these people want to kill him. They've already made up their minds about him. But isn't it interesting, it doesn't change his message at all. And yet, don't we do the same? Like, when we are fearful, of what someone may think about us if we claim to be Christians, we sort of dance around, we coddle the sensitivities of this person, and we don't want to offend. We do all of that. Because honestly, at the end of the day, we're afraid of how they perceive us. It's not about how they perceive Jesus, but how they perceive us. In this moment, Jesus does none of that. Instead, he amplifies his message to them. Jesus preaching Jesus to these people? What does he say about himself? There's a lot that can be said, but for the sake of time, we need to zoom out and focus on just a couple of things. But notice this whole section hinges on verse 19. He says, right from the top, the son can do nothing of his own (coughs) accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. This is both an explanation and an illustration of what he meant when he claimed to possess equality with God. What he's not trying to do, this is the clarification, what he's not trying to do is what they think he was doing, which was just repeat the sin of Adam. A human, a mere human, seeking to become like God. Jesus was not claiming to be a competitor to the true and living God of Israel. This is the clarification. Hey, guys, if that's what you're sweating, that's not what I'm trying to do. And hopefully the guys like, we were like, we were concerned there, Jesus. Thanks for clarifying that for us. Uh, instead, what he does is he amplifies it. It's the opposite of that. I'm actually God in, in the flesh. I'm not, I'm not claiming to become God. I, I'm already him. I became a human being. But he, just, he illustrates what that relationship looks like because that's a difficult thing to understand. And the illustration he uses is the trades. You see, in this culture, trades were often passed down to sons and daughters. Whatever the parents did for work, that's what the kids did for work most often. And the parents' work could be seen in the future work of their children, I remember when I, when I was a finished carpenter right out of high school, my boss taught me everything that I needed to know in the trade of finished carpentry, and he was amazing. Uh, but what was interesting, something that I recognized later on in myself, was not just that I learned a skill from this person, but because I spent every day practically with this man... Uh, 10 hours a day, six days a week, I found that even my mannerisms were like him. Uh, The way I would move uh, up a staircase or the way that I would make a joke or my work ethic. All of these things were shaped by my time with him. And eventually, when I went on my own, I was a reflection of him to anyone around me. And this would have been the understood illustration that jesus was using for these people that when you've seen me you've seen the father as he would say later on to the disciples and if you say you know him and you recognize the father then you should recognize me because we're equal we're doing the same things we're equal in essence we're equal in being in purpose in works and equal in will this is what he is implying In this first verse, this was his defense. Again, he did not back down in proclaiming who he was, though it probably meant they were gonna try and kill him even more. When Jesus was put on the stand, he swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. With the help of God, his Father. And from here, Jesus goes on to explain what he means in verse 19. And notice those four statements Like there were literally four of them, but they were the word F O R, four. And he gives an illustration. Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things. Verse 21, for the Father and the Son raise the dead and give life. Verse 22, for all judgment has been given to the Son. Verse 26, for both the Father and the Son have life in themselves. In these verses, Jesus is saying, the Father, me, we're equal. Not the same, they're different persons. But equal, again, in essence, in purpose, in being, in will, in work, all of these things. The implication is Jesus is God in human form. But what does all of this mean, all of these phrases? I'm just going to boil it down to two major points. First, Jesus is claiming to have equal power with God over life. Every well-respected Jew, he says it multiple times in this passage, but every well-respected Jew would have known that God alone possesses the power to give life and to take it away. After all, it was God who in the beginning, after he made man, breathed in him the breath of life. It was God who in the beginning warned Adam, don't eat of this fruit or else you will surely die in that day. It's God who has the power to give life and to take it away. And everyone understood that it is God who sustains every day of our lives. Every breath we take, every beat of our hearts is a gift of God. We cannot control the day we're born. We can't control the day that we die. But we believe that both of those things are subject to God's knowledge and power over life. And what Jesus is saying is that just as you guys know God has the power over life, so do I. And the works that he is doing is proof that he is God and has power over life. After all, isn't that the scenario? Here's this invalid whose limbs are dead. He cannot walk, and he restores life to his limbs and calls him up to walk. He's like, I, this illustration, this, what I just did proves that I have the same power that God has over life. But more importantly, Jesus Claims to possess the power, not just in physical life, but spiritual life. Look at the emphasis in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Not only does Jesus possess power over physical life, he already demonstrated that with this Man that he healed, but he says, I also have power over spiritual life. And notice the life that he gives, he gives it in the same way that they understood God the Father gives it, with his word. Whoever hears and believes in his word receives the life, eternal life that he gives. It's as simple as that. In John 11, we'll look at it in six months from now, I'm sure. But Jesus will prove in that chapter that he has the power over both spiritual life and physical life when he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And of course, he will prove ultimately that he has power over life and the grave when he raises himself up from the dead. And all of this is proof that Jesus is equal with God because he possesses the same power over life that God does. Secondly, not only does he have the power of life, that's what he's explaining in these verses, but he has equal authority to judge. He says that in verse 22, he says it in verse 24, he says it in verse 27 that God has given to the Son the authority to execute judgment. Now, again, these guys would have known who were standing there that God alone has the power to judge the living and the dead. After all, it was Abraham who asked God in Genesis 18.25, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? God alone is the perfectly righteous judge of all people. And now Jesus is claiming to possess equal authority in judgment. Now we're going to look at this at the end in the next section, but I just want to point it out here, the irony of that statement here, because isn't it interesting, Jesus is on trial and these men are sitting in the judgment seat over Jesus. And yet Jesus is saying, in the end, I'm the ultimate judge. Which means he's going to judge them. And he's going to judge them not for all of the, just all the things that they've done in the past, but for that moment right there and the way they treated him. Again, we'll come back to that in the next section. But in the end of this first section, Jesus tells them, don't marvel at the things I'm saying right here, though there was plenty to marvel over. He just tells them, wait and see, because greater works are coming. When the spiritually dead will hear his voice and respond in faith. When the physically dead will come out of their graves and live. When the righteous will enter into eternal life and the unbelieving world will also be raised but to eternal judgment. He's like, you think this is something to marvel over? You have seen nothing yet. And we're going to see greater things as we continue through the gospel of John. But this is the defense that Jesus gives for himself, of who he is, and why he can do the things he's doing. From his own mouth, Jesus claimed to be God. I I paraphrased it last week because I saved it for this week, but this reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote that he gave about Jesus claiming to be God. He wrote this, I'm ready to accept that Jesus... I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him or his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. (laughs) A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord, And God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral or great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. I think it's that last line that's so important. He has not left those alternatives open to us. Either he is insane or he is who he claimed to be God in human form. Nevertheless, it doesn't matter, right, what Jesus says about himself. In a court, a defendant or, you know, the the person on trial, they're going to say whatever they want. They're going to say they're innocent till they're blue in their face. They're going to try and get out of it. So Jesus recognizing that, it's like, listen, I understand. I can say all I want about myself. Um, I need evidence, don't I? I need to prove beyond myself that what I'm saying is true. And so that's where Jesus goes next in the next section. Let's pick up and read 30 To the end, and try and pick up what Jesus' evidence for his defense is. He says in verse 30 I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another. Who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. He's talking about John the Baptist. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in His sight. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom He has sent." And you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Don't think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Notice he starts this section in the same way he started the last section, saying this I, I can't do anything apart from my Father. His judgments, his will, his works, all of it is in perfect unity with the Father. But in verse 31, Jesus makes that concession I was talking about a moment ago. He's like, Listen, I understand that my testimony, if I just tes- testified about myself, that's not enough. Now, in one sense, it is enough, right? Because Jesus, no matter what we think about him, is who he is. He is God in human flesh. Just like you, no matter how I think about you or how you think about me, it still doesn't change who I am as a person or who you are as a person. And Jesus admits that in verse 34. Listen, I don't need man's testimony about me to know who I am or to to change who I am, right? He is simply stating the fact That in a trial, you need more evidence than that person's testimony about themselves. And thankfully, there is plenty of evidence to prove who Jesus is. In this passage, he points to four pieces of testimonial evidence. Did you notice what they were? The first one is the testimony of John the Baptist. He says that in verse 32 and 35. And what he says about John the Baptist is, is you guys used to really like John. You used to receive his words. You used to believe in the things that he was saying. You enjoyed his light for a while because he was a shining and burning lamp of truth. And he testified, John the Baptist did, on several occasions. This guy is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. But the moment John did that, all of a sudden, You guys didn't enjoy his light anymore and you started pulling away. You saw the evidence, you heard the testimonial claim, you respected him until he pointed to me and then you reject that evidence. He's saying, nevertheless, this is an evidential proof of who I am. John's testimony, a guy you used to love and receive. Secondly, Jesus points them to the works that he's doing. In verse 36, he says the very works he's doing bear witness that God has sent him. This is my favorite piece of evidence because people can say all they want about you, but after a while, your character will show by the things that you're doing. But remember back in chapter three, Nicodemus, one of these guys who was in the inner circle of these representative Jews, Nicodemus comes to him at night and he makes this confession. Hey, uh, rabbi, We know, some of the guys who are here accusing him, we know that you are from God because no one can do the things that you're doing unless they are from God. They saw the things he was doing. They recognized this guy must be from God. Where they struggled was, is he God though? And that's what Jesus is pushing into here. Nevertheless, Jesus says, the works, the things I'm doing are the very evidence that proves who I am. Jesus, think about it, has only performed a few miracles, water to wine, healed an, an invalid. I mean, it's not like there's been a lot going on. I mean, it's gonna get greater and greater, but he's saying, listen, if you don't believe these things now, and yet some of them already did recognize it, I mean, they're just gonna reject the future ones. But third, Jesus presents to them the testimony of the Father Himself. And what, I love what he says about this piece of evidence. He's like, uh, John the Baptist heard His voice. You guys haven't heard it. You've, you don't know God's voice. You've never seen His form. You've rejected Him. And therefore, the evidence is out there that God the Father has testified about me and who I am, uh, but you don't want to hear it. And you haven't heard it. You haven't heard that still small voice in your conscience, in your soul, in your heart, in your mind that says, this guy is my one and only son and you need to believe in him. Nevertheless, the father testifies that the son is the divine second person of the Trinity. And then finally, the fourth piece of evidence that Jesus points to is the scriptures, verses 38 to 40. These words that these people believed in. In verse 39, he says, the scriptures that you guys trust in, that you know so well, they bear witness about me. This is the key, friends, to unlocking the mystery of God's word, that it all points to Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's about him. Now, it involves us, but it's about Jesus. And here's the problem. These people claimed to love God's word, after all, I mean, think about it. They're here. Why? Because they're trying to protect the Sabbath, which was taught in God's Word. They're trying to protect this man from sinning on the Sabbath. And they're trying to protect everybody else from this heretic who's trying to lead them astray. I mean, they, they had understanding of God's Word. But their misunderstanding of God's Word led to a misapplication of God's Word to His people. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. There's a lot more evidence for the deity of Christ. But this is what Jesus chooses. This is the evidence that he points to to defend his statements, that he is equal with God. And like I said earlier, what's interesting about this scene is that the judge of all the earth, Jesus, is standing on trial before these mere mortals being judged by them. And and what he's saying to them is, I'm saying all this so that you can be saved, He's not trying to harm them, he's trying to help them. But those last verses speak into that oddity that Jesus, the judge of all the earth, is on trial. But he flips the script on him. Did you notice that in the last few verses when he talks about the love of God? He says, guys, here's your problem. You don't have the love of God in you. And the evidence he gives for this diagnosis is simply the fact that they don't receive him who he said earlier, the father loves the son. So if they don't love the son, they can't say they love the father or have experienced his love because they don't love the object of God's love, which is his one and only son. Forget the fact that they don't love this invalid. They don't care about him. They just care about their Sabbath laws. They don't care about Jesus, even in his humanity. They want to persecute him and they want to ultimately kill him, an innocent man. That's what they want to do. This is, these are evidences of the fact that God's love is not in their heart. But the big issue was that they had never tasted the goodness of God and his grace that's found in forgiveness. They don't know God's love. And I appreciate what Jesus leaves them with. Guys, if you want to live that way, if you want to live not under God's love and God's grace through faith in His Son, and instead you want to hold on to the law which was given to you by Moses, and you're setting up Moses over me, if that's what you want to do, then I'll tell you what, I won't judge you. I'll let Moses do it. (laughs) The very law that you're holding to is actually the judge that will condemn you in the end. This thing that you're putting your hope in will be the thing that will accuse you before God. So here's the question as we close. Is Jesus a menace to society or is he God? The implications for your answer to this question are obviously severe. Either you believe he's God and therefore respond in faith to him and live every day of your life for him or you don't believe And in the end, receive judgment for your sin and unbelief. The fact of the matter is, though, Jesus never claimed to be anything less, and He never claimed to be anything more than God in the flesh. And we cannot settle for an alternative view. As believers, we need to remember that our faith is not merely based on our subjective experience with God yes, God saved me from my own sin. Yes, absolutely. But my faith in the Lord, in His Word, in His Son Jesus is also based in the objective facts of the gospel. Who Jesus is, that He came, why He came, and what He accomplished when He was here. That is what our faith stands on. And it's only through that faith that we are saved. Not only do we need to remember that for our own sake, so that we don't drift into legalism or licentiousness, just living life however we want to live it. We need to remember that for our own soul, but we also need to remember it because there's going to be people who are going to ask you why you're a Christian. Why do you go to church on Sunday? Why do you go to life groups Thursday night? Why do you give? Why do you serve? Why do you have joy in the midst of your trial? What is going on with you while I believe this? How could you possibly believe that with all of this stuff going on in the world? You need to be ready to give a defense. And I think John is writing this passage not just to show how Jesus claimed to be God, but also to show you how to give a defense for Jesus when people ask you why you believe in him. And we need to be wise. And we need to be bold and courageous. We need to be equipped To know what to say and when to say it, but we also need to be wise to know sometimes we don't need to say anything and just let our works speak for themselves, just like Jesus did in the end. Why don't we pray and then we'll have a time of communion together? God, we come before you and we're thankful that the evidence for our faith is clear and compelling that God exists, that he made the world, that he spoke in time to particular people and places and circumstances, and he revealed himself through history and providence. And in time, God, you chose to reveal yourself supremely in your son Jesus when you sent him into this world to take on human form. And you revealed the good news of our salvation through his death and resurrection. And you have revealed your plan of salvation for 2,000 years through changed lives. Something that we cannot deny, that you are actively at work in transforming people from where they were to the image of Christ. And God, I pray that all of these evidences for our faith would just give us boldness, but also lead others to receive that light and life in you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.